once again to another edition of Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. I'm your host, Ricky Hazel, and I am joined today by three members of the Stetson student-athlete population, but more importantly, three members and leaders for the Stetson University Student-Athlete Advisory Committee, Stetson SAC. Uh, We're going to talk about the activities of the Stetson SAC, some of the missions and goals and objectives they have during the year, how they've been impacted by the coronavirus, not only from a competitive uh, standpoint, but from their academic standpoint and from from what they're able to do with SAC. Um, the three student-athletes that I have on with me today are Ari Beck. Ari is a senior from Estero, Florida on the men's cross-country team. He is the co-president of our Stetson SAC, and he's also the chair of the A-Sun SAC. Also joining me today is Samuel Craig, another member of the men's cross-country team, a senior. He's from Canton, Ohio. He is the Stetson SAC treasurer, and he is the past co- co- uh, SAC co-president from last year. And then uh, finally, uh, we're joined by Kiara McCarthy, who is a senior member of the women's lacrosse team. She's from Brewster, New York, and uh, Kiara serves as co-president of uh, the uh, Stetson SAC, and she's also a student assistant and student worker for uh, me here in the uh, Athletic Communications Office. So excited to have all these folks on board and excited to get started today with with uh, some information about the Stetson SAC. We we're talking about Stetson University SAC, uh, ASUN SAC, and uh, all of the impacts that our student athletes have and can have and are, are working to achieve not only on our campus, but throughout our conference and across the nation. So first of all, I want to let these guys tell you a little bit about what Stetson SAC is and what SAC is in general. So if you can kind of give us a little bit of a background on what SAC is and what the purpose is. Uh, So SAC's um, a student advocacy group or student athlete advocacy group, um, which is designed, it was designed within the NCAA. So every university has SAC, every conference has a SAC, all these um, division one, two, and three. And it's designed to give student athletes a voice, an opinion, a place so we can you know, organize and discuss things that we believe might need to be changed, that uh, initiatives that we want to do and ways to give back to the community. So we do things from uh, philanthropy and here at Stetson, we do a lot of canned food drives and toiletry drives, things like that, which I'm pretty sure we'll talk about later. Um, We actually recently have been talking about possibilities of social protests and things like that, not from SAC, but in preparing for possibilities of that occurring. Um, and we've also been in uh, a lot of conversation with COVID, what's going on, how to move forward with Stetson and with uh, the ASUN and whatnot. So I know that the the Stetson SAC has been around for a long time. Uh, in fact, the last podcast I did was with uh, Katie DiGirolamo, who's a past president of SAC and was in, heavily involved with the NCAA. But SAC has really evolved in its importance, especially in the last couple of years, as students across the country and student athletes in particular have fought to gain their voice, gain proprietary control over their image and likeness, um, but also just trying to make an impact because, uh, you know, you see a lot of uh, injustice in the world and especially in this country and, and young people are the people, frankly, that are going to be the ones to make the changes. And I think it's incredible that that uh, the student athletes on top of being students and on top of all the time it takes to be athletes would dedicate their own personal time to these various causes 
Talk about some of the some of the things I know, uh, Sam. You've been involved for a while. Some of the some of the things you guys have done in the past. I know the food drive for the for the neighborhood center in Volusia County has always been incredibly successful. Um, it's got to be a challenge this year to to try to do those kind of things. Yeah, you know, uh, I Kira and I, I think have been both in SAC for all four years. Um, Ari kind of came into SAC in the second semester of our freshman year. Um, just because our other SAC member um, for our cross country team was just a little bit too tied up with, with classes and whatnot. And Ari just literally came to a meeting one time and just jumped right into it. And like a couple months later, he, he uh, ran for president and got in. So um, <laughs> him and I have both been uh, executive board members for three years now. Kira's in her second year as an executive board member. And all three of us serve on the uh, ASUN SAC level with Ari and I at the uh, executive board at the ASUN level. So we've really gotten the chance to see SAC progress over the, the few years. And, and Kira's really done a great job of maneuvering the community service drives, especially this year, given all of the different challenges and stuff. And working with uh, Shelby Truett, our community service chair um, here at Stetson, to sort of figure out what the best way to do a canned food drive, seeing as how we can't really do a trick or treat. You know, I don't think anybody would take too kindly to us just knocking on their doors. And uh, it's, it's kind of hard to social distance when you're trick or treating. So uh, we just want to be respectful to all of those rules and uh, still accomplish our mission. So if, Kira, if you have anything to add about community service, I, I know that you're particularly passionate about it. Yeah. So you basically touched on it, like you guys said, um, the pandemic has definitely been felt around the world and like in our community in various ways with like social distancing measures and the transition to online learning and like our experience as student athletes, like everything has been impacted. Um, but we think it's really important this year to make sure that we can still find a way to do our canned food drive, even though we can't go trick or treating for canned goods because the pandemic has plummeted households into food insecurity. Um, trailing rises in unemployment and poverty. And we've been especially like successful with our canned food drive over the past two years by going trick-or-treating. Last year, we donated 300 or 3,858 cans, I believe. Um, And so this year, we were hoping to push back the um, canned food drive until after we complete the diversity and inclusion campaign. And we're trying to come up with new ways to still meet our goal um we want to make sure that this year if we don't meet a set number by like or a comparable number to what we had last year we want to make sure that we're still making a donation and that the donation is like substantial and the items that we're donating have nutritional value um and so we're kind of exploring different options now whether we can ask some of our corporate sponsor sponsors to match our donations um, and we're currently in the process of setting up a fundraising account for SAC that we can link to our website to raise money to reach um, our various initiatives throughout the year, whether it be planning events or trying to meet our fundraising goals. So now I know SAC has done an incredible job locally with the, the food drive for the community center and also the toiletry items for the community center. And uh, just just from speaking with those folks in the past, it's it's really filled a gap there with with the the less donations they've got from the community. I know they've in the past they've had Boy Scout uh, events that have raised foods, but that has really taken a dive and and Stetson student athletes really jumped in and and kind of saved their bacon to to kind of put it that way. But uh, 
and the and then the the food drives also have been really uh, a leadership thing for Stetson Sack because the 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 entire A Sun has done food drives as well, and Stetson has led the way every year with in terms of donations, and it's been it's really kind of been a kick in the seat of the pants for the other schools to say. Look what Stetson's doing. We got to get off our butts and get things done. Is that is that the way y'all? I mean, obviously you're student athletes, so you're competitive. So that's kind of got to feel good about doing this. Oh yeah, it it, it feels really good. Um, it's funny. We um, what is it? I think it was our sophomore year. So the first time I was on a Sun Sack, I went there with Rachel Noble, and we were talking about doing this. And uh, throughout the A Sun, we're all like, okay, what do you guys do? What do we do? Obviously, prior to that, what we did didn't work too well. We barely remembered it. Um, but I believe it was JU um, said that they would do uh, trick-or-treating and things like that. So we went with it, and we started uh, that year, and we ended up with 5,308 cans. Yeah. <laughs> That's a number that I'll remember all the time now. Um and it beat everyone else in the conference at least by double for uh, some, uh, I think the next highest was around 2,500. That was Liberty, right. um, which it felt really good to beat them. Of um, course. <laughs> but, uh, and then, but we went over what? 10, no, a hundred times or whatever. Like the, uh, the lowest school uh, Lipscomb struggled that year with uh, 50 cans, but yeah. um, so it felt really good to lead the way. And, uh, especially being a smaller school and, uh, you know, not the most populated area. So it felt really good to, you know, be able to give back to the community in that way. Well, like with the competitive uh, competitiveness too, I mean, it, it's kind of a running joke that Lipscomb's underperformance in the canned food drive and our ASUN uh, sack chair. Um, and then now our D1 rep, Ahmed, uh, he's a track runner for Lipscomb he always just feels so ashamed that he couldn't like rally his, his campus up to, to touch our Stetson numbers. So at these ASUN meetings that Ari's referring to, it's, it's really an ongoing joke. And even to this day, we still poke fun at Lipscomb for, for just getting washed in some of these. So it's competitive for sure, but it's competitive for the sake of like good fun and contributing to the community. So it's not like as cutthroat as, you know, a playoff basketball game or something. So. Insight Credit Union is a proud partner of Stetson University Athletics. Insight has been bringing better banking to Central Florida for nearly 85 years. Insight Credit Union is your local go-to for lower rates on auto and other loans, credit cards, and more. Insight Credit Union and you, better together. I want to go back real quick and talk about more of the foundation of what SAC is for. And how do you, I mean, when you're a new student coming into a college, you don't know anything about anything. So how do you attract freshmen to get involved and get in community service? And how do you get, you know, uh, more people to give of their time? Cause uh, I know that each team has a minimum number of representatives that maybe their coaches select or captains select, but it, that the sack's not limited to just those. I mean, you can, anybody that wants to be a part of it can be a part of it. Right. But how do you, how do you, how do you recruit members to sack and how do you get them excited about being involved with it? that's that's a difficult question um because i think when all three of us came in it was uh okay coach has to you know flip a coin or roll some dice whoever gets chosen gets thrown in right um at least that's how it was for the cross-country team kara if it was different for you you can go ahead and say it i think it was kind of different for our team um like coming into stetson i had just completed my girl scout gold award which was a mission to like 
relieve hunger and homelessness in New York City. And that was like my project and my coach knew about that and like my leadership skills throughout high school and the different different community service projects that I was involved in. And so she came to me and was like, hey, this is SAC. I think it's an organization like committee you would really like to be a part of. And so I was really eager to join and have the opportunity to voice my opinion on matters that were pertaining to my well-being as a student athlete. Um, and I think as far as like the SAC reps for little cross team goes and for most teams, um, you kind of look for the kids who want to make a difference and like keep up with this culture that we've helped create amongst our SAC reps to like do better and to be engaged and involved in the community. Um, so that's what we asked the coaches for and our SAC reps when we're picking new representatives. It's always really sad when someone leaves like Rachel Noble, she was amazing. But Rachel knows her team the best, so she's going to refer someone to be her replacement that's just as great. For instance, like now we have Yasmin on the SAC, and she's one of our executive board members. She's um, communication. So that's how it happens with my team, at least. But, yes, I think it's definitely um, different for each team, but that's how our coach went about the selection process. It's got to be fun for you guys that are veterans and have been involved to see a new student athlete come in and get involved with SAC and then all of a sudden the light goes on and they get an understanding of what it is that they're doing and that, that the purpose of the, of the organization is and, and to see them really dive in with both hands. It, it definitely is. Uh, I know like, I'm pretty sure my freshman year, it was like this for a lot of people, you know, everyone's like, Oh, what's, what's SAC? What is this at first? I don't think like for most people, I think it was like something that they had to do, but it's really changed um, since that first year when uh, Elise took over and, you know, Rachel became co-president with me and it was pretty much those two which revamped everything. And we were all just along for the ride, you know, willing to help out, willing to continue it on. A couple of powerful Um, personalities there. Very, (laughs) very. um, They both scared the living uh, daylight out of me when I first had to (laughs) travel with them. But um. But yeah, just like you said, seeing those new kids come in, um, you know, it's always a dice roll. Some you know, some kids, you know, are thrown in there. Others are selected and they take real well to it. And we'll get people reaching out all the time, texting, hey, you know, what else can I do? What's going on? You know, always texting or, hey, sorry, I missed that meeting. And you can tell that they're actually super apologetic. And I'm like, hey, it's okay. You had class. That takes precedent over this. But it, it's really encouraging um, because I know for me, you know, looking into the future, I'm like, I'm not going to be here forever. How is this going to continue? Especially with all three of us being seniors. Right. But uh, I'm really confident in the future and seeing what these kids can do. Uh, Cause these kids, we're all kids. That's kind of going off of that. I think that the most exciting thing is when you have someone come up to you and be like, Hey, I hear you're in SAC. Like I'm really interested in joining because then you know that this person is like eager to get involved and like make a difference. And Um, speak on behalf of their team. So we've had a few people reach out to us this year and join and their engagement has been great. So I'm excited to see what more they can do. Now, obviously we've, we've touched on the the food drive and how the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted that, but the pandemic has really impacted every aspect of student athlete life, student life, college life. Um, How has SAC been able to help kind of, formulate the plans for what's going on as far as athletic competition, as far as eligibility at the NCAA level, as far as, you know, what, what are, what are you going to try to do to, 
to make up with the food drive and to, you know the the um, the personal hygiene products that you collect every year. Those usually come from hotel rooms when you're on the road. But you know there hasn't been an athletic competition since March what 11 or 12. So there's not not that opportunity to go on the road. So how are how is SAC helping Stetson Athletics? How is Stetson SAC helping A Sun Athletics and A Sun SAC helping the NCAA to negotiate through this to where we can all get back to what we really want to do. Yeah. So, I mean, I can speak for Ari and I, who, um, as part of being on the ASUN SAC executive board, we've been invited on a lot of the calls with NCAA officers, um, like Dr. Hainline, um, who's NCAA chief medical officer that has really sort of been the spokesperson for, um, what is now the NCAA's resocialization guidelines. Um, which when those came out over the summer, it was kind of the pivoting moment to where colleges could decide whether or not they were going to be able to effectively run um, college athletics in the fall. Um, the return to play guidelines are huge and it's still being revisited to this day because the pandemic doesn't just, it's not just a, a static thing. It changes all the time. So, um, and, and especially how it affects planning things. So we were able to really just sort of talk and sort of give the conference the the pulse of what the student athletes are feeling. Um, because I think a lot of times it's the perception that fans just want to get everybody back in the stands so that they can watch football or something. But you got to understand that the pandemic has weighed on a lot of people in a different way. And so, you know, some people are picking up full-time jobs instead of the pandemic. Some people had to pick up extra classes and stuff so that they can um, maintain eligibility and graduate faster because they're uncertain of things. So it's a lot more moving parts to just having athletics than just putting, you know, seven cross country runners on, on the line uh, to represent our school. So um, being able to be in those conversations was huge. Um, and it still changes to this day. I mean, we got an email like two days ago um, uh, from commissioner Gumbert about PCR and antigen testing and how we're going to get tested and stuff. And, I don't know about anybody else, but I would have had no idea that I would be this involved in understanding the differences sure. between antibody, antigen, and PCR testing uh, for a global pandemic when I came in as a freshman. So um, it's been extremely interesting, you know, and, and everybody has a different perspective, but fostering all of the perspectives and um, bringing them in one place to sort of get a better idea of how student athletes behave and, and how they're going to handle things um, is key. And, and I think it's I give a huge kudos to the NCA and the ASUN, especially for listening to student athletes. And I know there's been criticism that uh, the decision-making has been a little bit slower than normal. Um, but I think it's just so that they can make sure that they don't ruffle too many feathers, especially with student athletes. And, um, you know, we'll see basketball starts in like a month and that's going to be the real test to um, all of the precautions that are going to need to be taken in place to ensure the safety of student athletes, coaches, fans, et cetera. So, we'll see. That'll be the real proof of concept. And then hopefully it goes well and we can, you know, get the show back on the road. But um, until we can really see what happens, it's just diligent planning day in and day out and understanding the, how things change. I think the public perception of the whole deal in the pandemic is you see FBS football and they're playing and say, well, why isn't everybody else? Well, FBS football is probably 1% of NCAA student athletes. And there it's, so much different there that's a, so much of a different game a different uh, product a different level of of uh, competition from what everybody else is doing uh, in college everybody else is students who happen to have also compete in a sport so the whole thing is is different for 
for everybody else. And, and so the impact for, for cross country and lacrosse and softball and soccer is, is tremendously different, not only from a, from an FBS to a, to a FCS to, you know, lower division one, but uh, you know, from, from school to school because of all the different rules, state to state. Uh, So it's, it's really got to be difficult as a student athlete to kind of keep up with everything because everywhere you go, it's different. Yeah. And I think that's especially true um, when it comes to like name, image and likeness stuff, which, which I know we wanted to talk about a little bit today, but you know, everybody, you know, you go to one place and it says one thing, you go to another place and it says another. So it is, it is true that, you know, coming in over the summer and understanding like, you know, Ari and I are a fall sport. So running every single morning, wondering whether or not we're having a season is especially like taxing, you know, not not, of course, physically because we run, but like mentally too, you know, it's, you kind of wonder, you can't help but wonder, is this all for nothing kind of a thing, which you never want to go into a season with that sort of defeatist attitude. But, um, and I think a lot of it is the, the differences in perceptions and and media um, influence on a lot of things, but, you know, ultimately there is one right thing. And I think the NCA's principles and and the conference were the two things that we have to look to um, because those are the, you know, those are the the bodies of law for student athletes. So um, unless it comes out officially from them, you just kind of have to keep up with your day to day and just hope that you're in tune with the next thing coming down the pipeline. And I think that's our job as uh, SAC reps, especially at the executive level to understand what's going on um, from an overhead perspective and make sure that people our student athletes know first and make sure that we can relay the information as quickly as possible so that they don't have to hear it from, you know, the conference says the AD, the AD tells the coaches, and then the coaches have to wait until the next time they talk to their athletes to give out some information. Sometimes with us in those conversations, we can just streamline that process and be like, Hey, this is what we said today. We're going to be able to play on January 20th or, you know, whatever it is. So I think the, the streamlining and transparency of information is something that's been great for, you know, ourselves to be in these conversations with, with, especially with COVID and, and NIL and everything else. Love Stetson Athletics? Then join the team behind the team. Donate to the Hatter Athletic Fund to help keep your Stetson Hatters at the top of elite competition. If you're interested in donating to provide opportunities for Stetson student-athletes, log on to GoHatters.com and click on the Hatter Athletic Fund link in the Support the Hatters tab. I know just just returning to competition is a big thing and getting everybody back, but the, the other part of that is the fact that Kiara's already dealt with it, and we've talked about it. Where her season was canceled in the spring, now she has an extra year of eligibility. You guys have had your fall canceled. You're going to hopefully compete in the spring, but you're going to have another year of eligibility. And that's not just as simple as just saying, "Okay, you got another year." There's a lot more that goes into that. You've got to figure in the cost of going to school because none of you guys are on full rides, so you're having to pay part of your deal. You're having to pay for housing. You're having to pay for food. Uh, there's a big financial commitment into coming back for that additional year. So it's not as simple as just, you know, waving the magic wand and, and you get an extra year. How how stressful is that for not only for you guys, but for all student athletes? I mean, you're speaking on behalf of everybody. How stressful is that for, for people to have to deal with trying to make those decisions? It's definitely something that's extremely, extremely stressful because I know uh, just sitting in those ASUN meetings, most of the time it wasn't 
is my season canceled? Is my season canceled? Because we all kind of had this idea, at least at the executive level, like, okay, this looks to be the way it's going, unfortunately. But it was a, what about eligibility? What am I allowed to do? Because And people are like, I need to know because I need to apply to graduate schools now. I can't right. wait till later. Um, I know several people are like, oh, now I have to quickly go take the GRE, the LSAT, this, that, because I wasn't expecting I'm going somewhere else. I wasn't expecting staying here to play another year. Um, so it's really up in the air with a lot of things. Uh, a lot of plans have also changed because of COVID, not just competitively wise, but like, oh, well, if you were intending on doing an internship this summer, but now it gets canceled, right. but you need an internship to graduate because you're at sets and, you know, uh, the business majors need, I believe, two, not internships, but uh, experiential learning or whatever. Right. But, you know, now that's get, that gets canceled, what do you do? It, so it's like, it's not just graduation and post-college uh, stuff or post-undergrad. It's a lot more than that. And it's just, it's extremely stressful and uh, confusing for a lot of people. I know yeah. that. And you hit, on, you hit on a point right there. A lot of folks who especially at Stetson, they have their eyes on medical school or law school or a specific graduate program that doesn't exist here at Stetson. They've got to go elsewhere to do it. So they've got to make up, make their mind up. Do they want to come back and get that missing year they had with their teammates that they were so looking forward to, or do they want to, you know, have to sacrifice that to move on and then try to join a new team somewhere else where they don't know anybody and, and, start off in their grad school or do they just want to forego it all and, and start their careers? I mean, there's a lot to, to weigh into that. And I know Kiera and I have talked about uh, you know, what her options are because she had her season canceled last year. She could come back, but you know what, it's not what you want to come back for. So it's, it's a tough call. Yeah. They, I, I'm in a weird position right now because I love cross and I want to play, but I don't know what I want to do because, like you said, I'm not sure that Setson has the grad program for me. But um, basically, after last season, I feel like my sense is I don't want to take anything for granted because you never know when the next time you step on the field is going to be. Um, and I feel like that's kind of how a lot of my teammates are now every day we go to practice. So I just want to say that I'm really thankful for having the opportunity to practice and play in the fall. Today we have a scrimmage at 4 o'clock. And that's like what we've been working towards. And so I'm grateful for the measures that the athletic department has put in place to give us the opportunity to practice in the fall, even though we're not competing, because I think it's good for our mental health and it helps us as students like retain this sense of like normalcy and like keep our identity as student athletes um, and have some structure in our lives, which is like what I thrive off of. So yes, it definitely is scary. And there's a lot of uncertainty. Like we don't know if things are going to get bad again in the spring, who knows, maybe my season can get canceled again. Like I definitely feel for the fall athletes. I feel for everyone last year. Um, and it is a very weird time right now looking towards next year and the possibility of like pursuing my fifth year of eligibility because you just don't know if it's even going to be an option then. Right. But NCA has, um, I think it's that they like extended scholarships and they like kind of did away with roster caps to give uh, the athletes whose seasons were cut short that extra year of eligibility and opportunity to play somewhere else. So I am thankful for that opportunity. I've got to feel like, yeah, and I've not been to practices because 
frankly, we're trying to keep as few people around those practices as possible. Normally, I would have been at football practices or baseball practices or, or other practices, and I'm not now. But I've got to feel like those practices now that maybe some student athletes dreaded, now they're the highlight of the week just to be able to go out and run around and compete where you've been, you know, in the past eight months, you've been locked in a, in your dorm room or apartment or whatever, and, and being just being able to be out with your teammates and be out with your friends for those competitions, that's got to be a highlight now instead of something you're not looking forward to. I completely agree with that, especially because um, the university athletic tiers don't really align completely with the university's tiers. So for instance, like we're in tier three right now, which means that we can have contact practices with our entire team. So when I go to practice, that's really the only time that I can interact with all of my teammates and get to know our freshmen because outside of practice, you can't be in groups larger than 10 and you really aren't allowed to interact in people's rooms. So it is like really satisfying to have that opportunity even if you are lifting in the weight room with like a mask on or even in the beginning when we weren't in contact just like going and running with your teammates and having them there for like moral support and like knowing that you were going through this together was really something that made my day every single day interacting with them at main street community bank of florida community is our middle name just like the stetson hatters are our hometown team main street is your hometown lender You'll work with local lenders, making local decisions. Decisions that support your community. Main Street Community Bank of Florida. Familiar name, familiar faces, familiar bank. All loans are subject to credit approval. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Now we've talked about some of the accomplishments the SAC has had as far as community engagement in the past. What are some of the goals you've got for this year? Are there new initiatives that y'all are working on? Um, and, and how are you going to manage trying to do the community engagement you want to do and sa- stay safe? We're definitely still adapting um, to what is going on. So, for instance, we talked about the canned food drive a little bit. Uh, we're not going to retreating because of COVID. But now that the university is in tier two, we do have the option to table if we want to, if we register it as an event. So that's one way that we can modify our plan and still collect canned goods. Um, This year, we also helped with a community cleanup that um, Persimmon organized when the tornado came and destroyed homes in Deland. So that's another way SAC reps stepped up and got involved to help make a difference in the um, community. And then just recently, um, several teams joined in Advent Health's Pink Out campaign to support breast cancer awareness by um, drawing some chalk art on the sidewalk and writing inspirational and encouraging messages. So we're definitely still trying to adapt to the pandemic, but we are still going to go forward with our initiatives like the diversity and inclusion campaign, which you could uh, check out on social media from October 27th to 29th. Awesome. Now, I know uh, one of the things that SAC has been involved with and, and that uh, you've really pushed for was uh, to be able to have election day off. And we're sitting here three weeks from a little over three weeks from the election, but having election day off so that everybody can go vote, getting everybody registered to vote. I guess the push now is to get everybody actually to vote and and uh, to get out and get their say, because 
as as everybody knows, this is an extremely important election this year. How has the process gone to to get everybody registered? How did the process go to make, get that passed at basically the NCAA level? I guess it's nationwide that uh, election day is a day off for student athletes. How did that process happen, and and uh, where where does it stand now? So when it first started. Um we actually had a girl from Kennesaw bring up the idea of doing a voter registration drive and um, get an election day off. And we discussed that in um, the ace on sack and, you know, a bunch of us were on, on board with that. And it came down to me having to write the uh, proposal. And I was <laughs> like, Oh boy, this would be fun. But um, <clears throat> the NCA had gone through their legislative cycle and didn't know if they would have, they would be able to uh, deal with the subject. Um right in time they have now um and now it's nationally mandated that on november 3rd there is to be no mandatory activities beyond i believe certain things such as you know doctor's appointments other necess- uh, necessities like going to see your trainer things like that right. um to ensure that we can you know go vote um obviously this year a lot of people are doing mail-in ballots and every year uh, students and student athletes will probably do mail-in ballots because, you know, we're not in our home states, even though you can register to be in your home state. Um, but it went well, I would say there were some reservations with coaches throughout the conference saying like, Oh, well, you know, this is training season, you know, we should be training or, Oh, our practices are done early in the morning. And it's like, that's not the point. Like right. it's, it's a super important day being a political science major. That's like, you know, I've been, ranting nonstop about it. Sam can attest. I annoy my team every day. Did you register? Did you register? Did you get your, did you uh, ask for your ballot yet? Did you get it? Did you send it in nonstop? Um, so I think that's also helped with getting people registered is my, um, consistent nonstop, um, pushing everyone to do it. Um, and that's just okay. because, yeah, yeah, it, it's a good thing. Um, yeah. I think it could have gone better. Um, if we, you know, could be on campus and table more so because we had all these ideas like, oh, for our um, uh, compliance meetings, we'll have a table set up there. Hey, you can come in and register or as part of the requirements for getting your physicals before you walk out, you have to register. Obviously, it's COVID. You can't really sit there and do that type of stuff. But, you know, we kept pushing. We kept pushing. Um I'm going to probably try to work with SGA now to see about actually getting people out there to vote on November 3rd, um, or at least getting awareness out there saying, Hey, you know, early voting has started for these areas, go out, vote, make sure you get your ballots, things like that. Um, but I, I think it's going well again, I think it could be better, but you know, now we have the foundation set up for in two years, election days off, uh, no, four years, election days off. So I think it's just something that everyone can keep building on and future uh, SAC members can continue to push out. Now, obviously, we have a lot of international student athletes, and there are a lot of international student athletes across the country, and they're not eligible to vote in, our, in the United States elections. But there's also the social justice aspect that they are able to participate in and that SAC is able to participate in. And you've seen um, some, of the, some of the football programs that have, are playing on TV wearing – stickers or badges or or whatever that they're doing as a uh, social statement and i know that's a, a another subject y'all have taken up and and how are how are you looking ahead toward when competition begins um making those social statements because frankly it's going to be after the election and who knows what the social statements are going to be at that point 
Yeah. So actually, I just got out of a meeting with uh, Jeff Altier uh, right before this. And it was something that we discussed because um, as an e-board, we put together a, a memorandum that we wanted to send to athletics asking certain things like what are we allowed to do? What's the extent of our activities allowed to do? Um, those things about social justice patches and whatnot. Uh, the NCA has approved people to wear them. There's specific regulations on that. So I'm not going to go into that right now. But um, and then just other things like certain protections, because uh, I know at another university, a group had a social protest out front of one of their clock towers and they got in trouble. It wasn't because social protest, it was just too many people, then they didn't right, get it approved right. properly. But I wanted to make sure, you know, if there's an issue, it's transparent so people don't feel like, oh, if I go protest, I'm going to get in trouble. That's not what I wanted. I want to make sure everyone understands the proper procedures. So I talked to Jeff about that today, and he said, as long as we stay within the um, uh, confines of legality, um, so nobody going around running, beating people with sticks or something like that, right. um, as long as uh, it's there's nothing to do with hate, discrimination, racism, and as long as nobody's threatened, like safety-wise, nobody um, interrupts the middle of play. So if there's a game going on, nobody runs out into the middle of the court and starts doing something, that they are more than allowed to protest sure. um, as they wish. And the uh, athletics will not uh, bring any forms of repercussions against us. He's said time and again that the coaches are not allowed to bench us, not allowed to remove scholarships for stating our, you know, for using our first amendment rights. He says it is, right. you know, it's not in their uh, control to do that. And right. he entirely supports what we do. Um but he did say that, you know, any big things planned to try to run it by him so they are made of aware of it. So it's not going to catch everyone by surprise, right. but he's not going to unless it threatens someone or is, could be potentially harmful. Uh, University Athletics is going to support us. Um, I'm probably going to take this to SGA as well and try to get the university wide support, bring a bunch of people together. So if people do want to protest, they can. But it's up in the air right now if anybody does i haven't heard of anything specifically um that we're you know going to be encouraging for people to speak you know use their first amendment rights speak up on things if they wish um as long as you know it stays within the confines of what we as a community believe you know you promote unity you keep people together no discrimination anti-racism we don't take any uh any harm or crimes or anything like that. Right. As long as we stay within those confines, I think we are all in support of things. How have those conversations gone at the conference and national level as far as talking about social justice issues? So at the national level, it's progressed extremely quickly. Um, for those of you that didn't see within, I think 24 hours after Floyd, uh, Floyd George um, was killed, the division one sack released a statement on the, on the issue and, and full support of um, black lives matter, at least uh, equality. Um, they discredited uh, uh, police brutality. Uh, so they were very vocal on the matter. And a lot of people were pushing the NCA on the matter. Um, actually that same day, they had like a uh, mental health um, video thing go out uh, to deal with the COVID and isolation and a lot of people gave him a lot of backlash for that because, oh, this happened 
and you don't want to step up and say something for your student athletes who a good portion of them are minorities or internationals um, of all different types. Obviously, you know, it takes time for a response to come out of a national organization like that, but they did come out and stood in support with the division one uh, uh, council or the, uh, division one SAC and have uh, passed um, legislation along with division one SAC regarding this uh, thing called a unity pledge where um, any athlete that takes this unity pledge um, it's online. I've sent it out to our executive board and we'll probably be sending it out to the rest of the uh, student athlete body soon, but it's a unity pledge to, you know, stand together, promote unity, um, fight against or stand against um, fear, doubt, racism, discrimination, anything like that. And um, once you, once you sign it, you're allowed to use this patch of um, people it says United is one and three hands embracing each other kind of like this and mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, it, it's a really interesting thing, but at the national level, they've been very proactive with things and have been promoting uh, unity and trying to stand up for what's right without taking major sides in regards to jumping, say like with black lives matter or another group, they want to stay out of those groups Sure. But they want to uh, stand for the general principle. Want to cheer on the Hatters at their next away game? Maybe you're visiting family or just looking for a fun getaway. Whatever the reason for your next takeoff, make sure you fly the official airport of Stetson Athletics, Orlando Sanford International Airport. With over 75 nonstop destinations, let SFB get you to your next adventure. Visit flysfb.com for more information. Obviously, you guys are all student-athletes but you're all students first. How have other students on campus, um, how's the conversation in class about uh, the social justice issues? How have those things gone? How have other students, how have students that are international, how have they reacted to uh, all the movements that have gone on in the country and and what's their perspective on on, uh, the social justice movements here? I think think generally everybody kind of has the general um thought that's like what's going on right now um and of, of course i mean you see people get you know shot and and choked out on on live news like and right. it seemed like it was a relatively frequent thing and and you know we weren't alive for the you know rodney king riots but to think that it's still something that persists you know 30 years later it's it's kind of ridiculous um and of course there's a million and one factors that go into it, which is actually to tie back into your question was like, you know, I'm an economics major and in the the last spring semester, our final exam in one of my economics classes was changed from our normal course to, okay, let's actually apply this theory to COVID-19 and let's apply it to social injustice and, and the social protests. Like what are the microeconomic and macroeconomic factors? So you get to kind of have those conversations um, about what's going on and also apply it to something that can actually be productive. Like, okay, well, if, if you apply this policy, then, then this will happen. And it, you know, it's very uh, um, proactive in thinking about it, but it's, it's real time, everything changes. And so we were able to learn on the fly, which, sure. you know, I massively salute uh, my professors for adapting with that, especially I know in, in the, uh, the business school, um, because 
everything has been so focused on like the 2008 recession, which was terrible. Um, but now we're in another recession. So why not learn from it and apply what we've been talking about and really get active? So that's been great. But when it comes to the social protest thing too, I mean, it's what I've learned is that on the internet, nothing is nuanced. And then when you actually talk to people about things, you can disagree about something and also agree on the other, you know, you can disagree on 10% and agree on 90% and then it's a healthy conversation. But on the internet, it's that 10% of disagreement that gets a thousand retweets. You know what I mean? So um, it's actual face-to-face civic uh, civil discourse and, actually having a conversation with people is like the most important thing, which is the most frustrating thing about all of this happening overlapping with COVID is because right. I can't just go into, I don't, all of my classes are virtual. You're looking at my classroom right now. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, this is where I am. So I'm not able to be face to face and just hang out with people outside the LBC and just talk for like 20 minutes if we get riled up on an issue and just sort of figure it out, which is, which I think is healthy. The, the idea of conversation and just working through differences, um, and having nuanced perspectives is something that's been forgotten a lot because everybody's forced to just talk over the phone about things or tweet about things. And so that sort of idea is unfortunate, but I think generally, you know, student athletes, uh, whether from America or international, I mean, nobody likes seeing what's going on with, with people yelling and screaming at each other in, in politics, um, people spreading hatred on any side of the argument. I mean, it's, there's a lot that goes into it, but generally, you know, we, we just, I haven't really met anybody that's so outwardly hateful. You know, I feel like it's just right. amplified when you go on the internet if, if, from my perspective, you know what I mean? But um, it, it's, it's definitely just a nuanced issue. So there is no one true perspective, which is just kind of adds, adds fuel to the fire, if you will. Kira, I know you're involved with, with social media and, and have a lot of experience with social media uh, and, and Sam, no, Sam just said the, the the word is the nuanced conversations and and you lose those nuances in social media. How are you uh, in, in communications? Uh, how are they teaching to deal with nuance and try to get that across where it seems like everything in social media is either you're with me or are you against me and there's no middle ground. I know like over the summer we made a statement and we were talking about it at first in our e-board when everything was going on and like there was some resistance because people are like, should we make a statement? Should we not make a statement sure. about the current climate? Because you never want to like have people attack you for your stance, not being like in line with theirs. So I think it's just like taking into consideration other people's like perception and perspectives when you're creating a statement to put out to the public so that you can clearly define like what your views are without offending anyone else but um i do think yeah that's basically what we do ari's better at like those statements than i am i would say i'm more into (laughs) making graphics (laughs) i would make it but he's the one to go do with the wording i guess to touch on it too like you know kira mentioned something like you know on our cross-country team we have you know, we have uh, less than 10 people on our team. So getting a general agreement on our team is way easier to make a statement on behalf of our team than sure. say the football team with a hundred guys. Right. So we can pretty easily have that conversation amongst the, you know, eight or nine of ourselves and make a statement that maybe is a little bit more or maybe a little bit less nuanced. Like, you know, it's really easy for us to just be like, okay, where do we stand on this? Do we like this? No. Okay. Yeah. Then this is what we're saying. And we're going to be bold and we're okay with being bold because 
you know, we all agree on it. So you're actually getting it from the source. It's, it's us that are posting it, but with a team of a hundred or something, or even a team of 20 or, or 30, like, you know, women's lacrosse, it, you know, even if two people disagree, you almost are hesitant to put it out because those two people don't agree with it. So it isn't totally an accurate representation of how that team feels. So there is that aspect to it. And, and there is a, a strength in numbers, but there's also, you know, you remove nuance, the more you grow a population of, of representation. And so it, it's definitely a, a weird one, um, especially since I, a lot of the messaging about the last year and increasingly year to year with or without injustice or protests or COVID-19 is social media's presence in our daily lives. So it's just hard to maneuver. One of the things that's great about this country, and I've always said this, is, is having the freedom to say what you think. But the flip side of that is you have you're also going to have the repercussions of dealing with the reaction to what you what you say and and I think it's a incredibly responsible and, and it's a great to see um, everybody being very considerate and thinking about what response will be from anything you put out there because uh, the, there's going to be vastly wide widely differing opinions on every topic. Um, so we'll move on from social justice. We've got one more thing I want to talk about, and that's the uh, NCA legislation on name, image, and likeness. And I think this is a subject that a lot of people may not understand fully. Um, they see uh, Trevor Lawrence at Clemson and them talking about how many millions of dollars he can make uh, if, if he's allowed to, but he's the one in uh, $50 million. Uh, he, you know, That's not going to be the way it is for everybody else. So Give me your takes on what the NIL legislation is going to mean and, and what do you know about it? Yeah, so um, the NIL is something that I've particularly taken an interest in um, because it has a lot to do with um, the law. And I, I'm planning on going to law school, interested sure. in law for a while. So understanding the different aspects that go into actually maneuvering it because, you know, the NCAA can say something, but if it violates a state law or vice versa, then it's nothing. You know, the, the government has to work with the NCAA to come up with something. So um, actually just a few days ago, we were sent something, uh, I believe from the Florida Gulf Coast, a sun rep um, where she, you know, the, the president there over at uh, Gulf Coast or the AD wanted to get student athletes voices on it and sort of figure out what we're doing because, Florida's in a unique position um, where we will have the uh, our, the state of Florida will have the first official NIL um, right. policy in, in place and actually legalize. I, I believe California was the first to sign it, um, but they didn't. I think I think it was 2023 is when right. it'll actually take an effect. Uh, Florida signed theirs in like June and it's going to be active uh, by June 30th, 2021. With the, the Board of Governors saying, hey, let's try to get this processed by, uh, you know, January 2021. Right. So it could move a lot faster than we think. But generally, especially in Florida, you know, it's uh, State Bill 646 was the one that really sort of did it. And it basically says that the NCAA needs to put up a, a, a policy and rules and regulations on how student athletes can go about actually getting paid for their name, image and likeness. And I think there's a fine line which what people don't people that aren't specifically tuned into the conversation understand, which is that NIL is not the same as paying athletes. It's right. widely different. And it's something that really like bothers me when, you know, like my mom or dad talk to me about it because they think it's, Oh, well, you know, they shouldn't get paid. And it's like, well, they're not getting paid. They're just sort of opening the door. 
you don't have to walk through the door, you, right. but at least it's open if you want to, you know, I, mm-hmm. you know, if, uh, if I am running really fast and, you know, half wall, one of my favorite restaurants in downtown says, Hey, you know, we want to put up a poster for you. We'll pay you 50 bucks. NIL allows me to do that. Right. But that's not Stetson putting me on salary for running cross country. That's a whole different right. thing. And different there's, there's definitely an argument, you know, uh, Tim Tebow was famous for being sort of anti NIL. Um, and I mean, I can't think of somebody really in the last, you know, 15 years or even since I've been alive that has had the impact that Tim Tebow had. I mean, the little John 316 eye black and the right. Florida Jersey, everybody knows that number 15 is Tim Tebow or whatever his number was. I'm from Ohio. So I, I really didn't care for Tim Tebow back then, but, 15, yeah. um, but, you know, you know, it's him. But now with NIL, your number is associated with your likeness. You're right. very there's only there's only one number 15 on on Florida or there's only one, you know, you know, 37 on, on Stetson. So there, there's an, a, something to be said about how they're interpreting NIL, which is ultimately just giving more power to the student athletes. And I think that's the general theme of since Ari and I and Kira have come into SAC over the last four years it's just been increasing how much power student athletes have and educating us on how to appropriately use our platform responsibly and being able to pursue uh, business ventures. You know, if I'm in, if I'm an entrepreneurship major and I learn how to start a business, but I can't start a business while I'm in college because I'm a student athlete, but the kid that sits next to me can, and he's not a student athlete, that sort of, that sort of, you know, balance or it, it, it kind of falls on itself um, once you start having those conversations. So I'm happy that, you know, the NCAA is starting to take it more seriously. And um, I really hope that it goes well. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be some hiccups along the line. It's not going to be this streamlined, easy process and, you know, maintaining your amateurism is still a big thing. Um, but ultimately I, I think it's a step in the right direction, but it's, it's definitely far from over. So we'll definitely just have to see what, you know, how, how it goes when Florida starts it, you know, which is going to be within a year. So um, it'll be something beyond our time at SAC reps, but it's something that we wanted to really push along and sort of get the vibe for what student athletes want to say about it. And I think it's generally positive towards NIL. I know some people are hesitant, but I think once they hear the actual argument for NIL rather than what they think it is, um, it, it, you know, it's this pay athletes versus let them be paid. It's a different thing. It's very nuanced and that sort of right, but um, it, it is a different thing. So I'm happy with it. I'm, I'm extremely pro NIL. So um, I thought it's been great and I've been lo- loving advocating for it um, as a student athlete, but um, it's a wider conversation. Want to stay up to date on all things happening in Hatter Nation? Follow us on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts at Stetson Hatters. Your destination for in-game stats, student-athlete features, game promotions, and more. Follow at Stetson Hatters today. Yeah, the example that comes to mind to me is the, the kid that was the punter at UCF four or five years ago now. He had a YouTube channel that was generating money as a, as a, as a YouTube star. He was just creating videos, had nothing to do with his football uh, on the team. And the NCAA said, listen, you can either do YouTube or you can be a punter. You can't do both. And, and that, to me, that was the, that was the first time the can was really, was really put into play where uh, something had to be done about it. And of course he chose to keep making money on YouTube, which I think he's done fairly well with that. But you see so many people, especially young people who are, making tremendous amounts of money 
being social media influencers, I, I don't see how this can be stopped because obviously student athletes are the best among us. Uh, and, and so if they're the best that we have, they're obviously going to be the best that we have in a lot of different things. And, and that includes, you know, the, the social media influencers and other things. And it's going to draw to that. Are you going to say something? Yeah. So <laughs> Sam talks about uh, people, some people being hesitant. I'm actually one of those hesitant only in a specific area. So I'm perfectly fine with the YouTube thing with all those, with, with pretty much everything. Cause I right. do think like, if you're not allowed to, if you can start a business, you should be able to start a business. There right. shouldn't be anything about that. It's the whole, like his example about half all on the $50 poster. My hesitation on that is that go back to Tim Tebow. What, somebody wants to sponsor him putting pictures up somewhere with money. Great. What about a female athlete? Mm-hmm. That, that's my thing with that. Um, I'm like, we're uh, actually Marco Rubio is trying to bring up a bill within um, the Senate. And my main reservation with the whole thing is there's nothing to do with title nine in there. Right. I, I honestly think like I'm perfectly fine. I know football compared to cross country will get all the money. There's nothing I can do about that. Sure. However, we still want to be equitable as much as possible. We don't want women's sports to fall more by the wayside because, unfortunately, that's just how it is in the world. People prioritize men's sports over women's sports, which I don't believe should be – is fair. I don't think it's right. So I think if somebody's going to, you know, want to pay a male athlete in college to, you know, put up a poster, put up something, I think it should be required that they do the same thing for a female athlete bring equity to the table. Um, I know in the long run, it might not do anything. It might not bring more awareness to female sports. It, people might complain and say, oh, it's not, you know, good for business. It's not, you know, I don't get the same bang for my buck, True. but that's how it is. And then the, the other part of the reservation I have is people that'll do stuff like this, you know, the, oh, I can get my name put up on something, make money. At what point, do they stop forgetting that they're still in college? And, and that's where Sam's brought up the amateurism thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a big line that I'm personally concerned about. Um, again, I'm fine with people making money. I, I am, but it's, we're in college for a reason. Like mm-hmm. I've had friends that they could have used scholarships to go to college, but since they weren't good athletes, they aren't getting anything, even though they were brilliant, brilliant students. Right. I know, you know, it's not the same thing, you know, you snooze, you lose with athletics, but I do have issues when if somebody goes to college, starts making money based off their athletic performance. I know it. The bill says you can't. It can't be based off your athletic performance, right. but who gets chosen? Um, I, I think it's like you need to make sure that you have to be in good standing academically. You have to. You can't let it drop or uh, in order to have a contract or something like that. Right. That just some nuances. That's why I have hesitation because I'm afraid that we're going to jump into it and it's going to get abused. Yeah, it's really it's a really challenging topic because it's such a fine line between being a college athlete, and being a professional athlete, and uh, where does that where does that line come? Uh, we'll wrap this up. We've we've been on for almost an hour now. Uh, here we are, October sixteenth. We've got about six weeks left in the semester. We still are a ways away from starting athletic competition, and then there'll be a big gap between Thanksgiving and when school starts back and when we start competition. You guys are all seniors. Tell me what your hopes are, what you're looking forward to, what do you, what do you want to get accomplished in the next five months, six months as you look toward graduation in May? 
Um, personally, I, uh, I'm taking the LSAT in a month, so I want to make sure that I get a good score on it and start preparing for uh, applying to law school. And it's going to be happening at a time where there's going to be a lapse in classes and cross-country. So uh, cross-country is scheduled to start in January. So I think by the end of by the end of the the year, the the school year, I really just want. I'm just I'm hopeful that COVID nineteen subsides, that we can sort of resume or, or return to some normalcy, um, because it, it is kind of a shame that you know us three seniors uh, are going to potentially not even experience in person classes, you know, for an entire school year. For you know, if you choose to do that option, but. I hope that um, things can progress in a safe way. Um, I hope that everything just sort of calms down a little bit. I think everything right now is really on edge. Um, and it's probably because of like cabin fever and, you know, hypersensitivity with everything that's going on. So I hope that cools down. And of course, I, I hope that we can get back to getting on the field and playing sports. I mean, it's half the reason that we're here, you know, student athletes, it's the second half of the reason we're here, but it's a major reason why a lot of people came here and why we love college athletics. I mean, we wouldn't be speaking on behalf of student athletes almost every single day if it wasn't for our love for the game and a love for student athletes, um, not just at Stetson, but at the ASUN level and, you know, everywhere. So the general hope is just that we can start looking more to where like optimism doesn't seem unrealistic. Kira? Oh, gosh. Um, I can't wait or I'm looking forward to getting back on the field with my teammates and having the opportunity to compete again. We were undefeated at home last year. One game uh, beat Oregon. So that was really exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm looking forward towards completing my degree. Um, I'm earning my BA in communication and media studies with a minor in digital arts and then my BBA in business administration with a minor in marketing. Um, and then I'm studying abroad over the summer again as the program leader for Innsbruck. Fingers crossed that, that happens. And then hopefully I make my decision regarding uh, what path I want to pursue next year and if I want to take my fifth year of eligibility and where. Who knows? Maybe you'll see me back here next year. Or right, you get the last word. Awesome. Uh, just how I like it. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like in the same – I'm actually – the middle of those two. I'm going to be taking the LSAT in January, um, but I'm also going to be looking for the GRE as well. Uh, but I, the reason I'm doing both is because I have no idea what I wanted to do exactly. I had an idea, but the internship that would have helped me decide that over summer got canceled because it was supposed to be down in Chile. So I'm like, hopefully in these next five months, I can get good scores on both and get into some decent schools. Um, so that's pretty much all I'm looking forward to that and getting my senior research done next semester. Well, guys, I appreciate you taking some time with me today. It's been really enlightening and uh, I, I can't wait to see what you all get to accomplish both on the field and, and graduate. And, and, and please let's, let's keep the flow of conversation going so that as you guys figure out how we're going to manage to, to help the neighborhood center and do other community service projects, we can continue to push and, get that word out because that's uh that's what this podcast is about is about telling these stories and and talking about what we're doing at Stetson Athletics so I really appreciate your time appreciate you coming on and uh best of luck thanks Ricky stay safe go vote go hats go hats
And that'll do it for this edition of How to Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. I'd like to thank all of our corporate sponsors who make it possible for Stetson University and Stetson Athletics to provide our more than 400 student athletes a quality experience on the courts and fields of competition in the same way the faculty provides all Stetson University students a quality educational experience. Those sponsors include, of course, our presenting sponsor, Insight Credit Union. Other sponsors include Florida Public Utilities. Visit askforgas.com for more information. Geico Insurance. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com to find out how. Advent Health. Visit westvolusia.com. Old Florida, new vibe. Coca-Cola Beverages of Florida. The Alliance Community for Retirement Living. Bud Light, the official beer of Stetson University. Florida Orthopedic Associates. If it hurts, see them first. Hampton Inn and Suites of Deland. ImageWorks, your one-stop corporate identity shop. Main Street Community Bank. Familiar name, familiar faces, familiar bank. Morningstar Storage, the space you need, the way you want it. Orlando Sanford International Airport. Visit flysfb.com. Simpler, faster, better. Total Comfort, the name you can trust. And Weston Lake Mary, Orlando North, for a better you. Thank you to all of our corporate sponsors.